Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. All right, if you open up your Bibles to Psalm 8 this morning, we've been spending the, the summer in the Psalms, and this will be our last week in the Psalms, and this is a great psalm for us to end on. So we're going to do a quick recap before we jump into Psalm 8. If you remember, Hunter told us at the beginning that Psalms 1 and 2 serve as an introduction of sorts to the entire collection of the psalms. They're a how-to-read-the-rest-of-this-book type of introduction. And then immediately, right after the introduction, we get Psalms 3 through 7. And listen to these titles that the ESV translators have given these psalms. Psalms 3 is, Save me, O my God, answer me when I call. Lead me in your righteousness, O Lord. Deliver my life. And finally, Psalm 7, In you do I take refuge. So the authors immediately jump into scenes after introducing us to this book. They jump into scenes of trouble and heartache and searching for rest right at the very beginning. But notice the shift that's about to take place in Psalm 8. It's been given the title, How Majestic Is Your Name? What does that even mean? It sounds really nice. It sounds like something that churchy people would say, something that church people say, or maybe they would even sing about this. But the word majesty usually doesn't pop up in my everyday conversations. What does it mean for someone's name to be majestic? It sounds really nice, but it's it's very different from the trouble of the previous psalms that we've been going through. So what causes this change? Why has this psalm been placed here, right among the previous songs that deal with all the trouble and distress and people calling out to God for answers and for deliverance? What causes this shift where we stop focusing on the trouble that is all around us and we start focusing on the God who created us. So that's what we're going to look at today, how seeing God as majestic is the key to changing our outlook on life. So Psalms 8, because this is the word of God to us this morning, would you stand with me as we read this out of reverence for him? Psalm 8, to the choir master, according to the Getith, a psalm of David. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen 
and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks indeed. Please be seated. So we'll look at two points today to walk through this psalm. Point number one, how do I know that God is majestic? How do I know that God is majestic? And then part two, why does that matter? How do I know that God is majestic? And then why does it matter if God is majestic? So point number one, how do I know that God is Majestic. First of all, what does majestic mean? According to the Google, majestic means having or showing impressive beauty or dignity. Having or showing impressive beauty or dignity. So what the psalm is really all about is the beauty of God, the beauty of his name, which is the essence of who he is. It's the essence of God. So it's all about his beauty in all the earth. And we start this psalm with this statement in verse 1. We end the psalm with this statement in verse 9. And everything in between, verse 1 and 9, show us how God is majestic. So how do I know God is majestic? First, look at verse 1. It says that God has set his glory above the heavens. And immediately, when I'm reading through this, I go back into English teacher mode. It's almost the beginning of school, so we're going to go back to school real quick with our kids. So I pull out my red pen and I write David a little note in the margins because this does not flow logically to me. So I write this, Dear David, you are talking about God's majesty in this psalm, and before you even finish with verse 1, you're already talking about God's glory. Please stay on topic. And I have him give me another draft of Psalm 8, please. But because God's word is holy and it is perfect, what I perceive as David needing a little work in his writing is actually David speaking about God the way that the rest of the Bible speaks about God and his beauty. So look at this other section. Remember Isaiah in chapter 6 when he has his famous going into the throne room of God and being commissioned to go on his behalf. The seraphim are flying around and they're singing constantly to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his, with his what? It's his glory that Isaiah says. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now logically, If you're talking about how holy, holy, holy God is, then you would say that the whole earth is full of his holiness. That's not what he says. The whole earth is full of his glory, just like what David does here in verse 1. But David goes even further than Isaiah. So David says that God's beauty is so great that his glory is above the earth. It's above the heavens. It's that big. But what exactly is God's glory? I thought we were talking about God's majesty. So it's interconnected here, and John Piper is super helpful in explaining this. So after this, I promise I'm done with the English teacher portion of this lecture, so please just hang on with me. Okay, so last thing, you need to hear this. Piper says that the glory of God is the going public of his infinite 
worth. God's glory is the going public of his infinite worth. That is, when God's beauty goes public, God's glory is being displayed. So when God's majesty goes public, that's God's glory being displayed. When his holiness from Isaiah goes public, that is God's glory being displayed. So God's glory is something that we can see with our eyes. So back to Psalm 8. David is now going to tell us how we see the beauty, the majesty of God, his glory in the world. So verse number 2, we see God's glory out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And notice that contrast. God establishes strength using infants. And while you might not have thought about this in these terms, you know if you've read through the Bible that this is how God establishes his nation. It's filled with helpless people. God calls at the very beginning Abram, a nobody from nowhere, to be the father of a great nation. The author of Hebrews says about Abram when he was called that before he started having children, he was so old that he was as good as dead. God saves a baby, Moses, from a mass genocide and uses his mumbling and stuttering mouth to be God's mouthpiece to Pharaoh and to the rest of the Hebrews. God chooses the runt of the litter, David, the youngest, the smallest of all his brothers, to slay the giant Goliath and to be the king over his people. God works through an unwed teenage girl in the Middle East to bring his only son into our world. God loves using the strength of infants, of nobodies with no strength in and of themselves to still the enemy. And this is what Paul picks up on in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this, that for consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. So how do we know that God is majestic when God uses these infants, these powerless people to bring about his plans? That's God's majesty on full display. And at this point, we should be ready to ask God the next question that David does. So we look back at verse 3. It says, when I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place... What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So out of all the things that God could use to display his beauty in the world, why does he choose to use humans 
to show his majesty, his beauty. So think about the stars, David says, which I did this week. I spent some time thinking about the stars. And since we've already been back to English class, we'll very quickly go back to science class as well. Let me take you there just for a second. So I started thinking about the stars this week, particularly my favorite star. Do you all have a a favorite star? Everybody's got a favorite star. I have a favorite star. The scientific name of my favorite star is the sun. It's a great star. It's always there for me. It's just close enough to keep me warm. It's just far enough away that I don't melt. It's a great star. So I'm thinking about my favorite star, and I wonder, how is the sun burning in space if there's no oxygen in space? I mean, think about it. And I'm sure I was probably supposed to learn this in school. I took an entire class in college about astronomy, But I had no idea. I had no idea how this works. So I had to look this up. How does the sun burn without oxygen? Everything needs oxygen to burn, so I thought. So I looked this up, and the sun doesn't need oxygen to burn because it isn't actually burning at all. And so here's my one-hour-long scientific inquiry in 10 seconds for you guys. The sun takes hydrogen... And because the sun is so large and it has so much gravitational force, it smushes hydrogen atoms together and turns them into helium. And when that happens, you have some extra energy that's created. So smush the hydrogen, turns into helium. Helium comes out and a little extra energy is released. And the leftovers is the heat, the burning that we see out there in the sky. So now I'm thinking about my favorite star being a hydrogen crushing factory that just keeps going and going and smushing and smushing and releasing more and more energy. And then I think about all the other stars in our galaxy. So I had to Google that as well. There's 100,000 million, which is apparently a number. And that's how many stars are just in our galaxy. And our sun is pretty puny compared to most other stars in our galaxy, which are much larger and have much more energy that they release. And our galaxy is one of only countless other galaxies, and then my mind is just, I'm gone. Long walk around the block, hot cup of tea. And out of all the crazy, beautiful, massive things that God has created with his fingers that he could use to display his glory and his majesty, David writes in verse 4 that God is mindful of humans, that he cares for humanity. He cares for you more than anything else that he has created. So we know that God is majestic, that he is beautiful because he cares for us. He provides for us. Think through what the Bible says about God providing for his people. God provides a spouse for Adam and Eve. He provides an ark for Noah. He provides a little ark for baby Moses. He provides food and water in the desert for wandering, exiled refugees. He provides a sacrificial system so that sinful people can still come near to him, a holy God. He provides a king in David to lead his people well. He provides a prophet to turn his people back to him when they go astray. And ultimately, he provides a true son of man in Jesus 
to once for all offer a sacrifice that makes us look perfect in the Father's eye. So our God is majestic because he provides for his people. Okay, so God is majestic, point one. So point two, why does that matter? Why does it matter that God is majestic? One reason, very simply, is because of your status that David shows us in verse five. Verse five says, yet... You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep, oxen, the beasts of the fields, the birds, the fish, and anything else in the seas. So when we read that, you have to realize that David is talking about you here. You have been made a little lower than the heavenly beings. That is, you are not on the same level as God. But notice where you are in the rank of creation. In the entire universe, among all the hydrogen-smushing stars that are out there, among the highest mountains, the deepest oceans, and everything that has ever been created, God himself has crowned you With glory, and there's that word again, with his glory, with the ability to shine his beauty publicly into the world. You were made to have the same relationship to God that the moon does to the sun. The moon doesn't create light in and of itself, but when the moon is full, it lights up the entire earth at night by reflecting the light from the sun. That's our relationship. That's how we shine God's glory into the world. You've been crowned to reflect God's beauty. Your job is to rule over creation as an agent of the high king of heaven. You've been given dominion over all the other created things. They are under your feet. That is, you are to rule over them. But as a benevolent, kind, and loving king, caring for that which is under your rule. So I don't know about you, but many days, that reality feels more like a fairy tale in my life. I don't feel like I've been crowned with anything other than a bunch of problems to fix. Many days I don't feel like I even have control over myself, much less control over anything else in God's creation. Many days I don't, it doesn't seem like the only thing that I have under my feet is a board full of nails that I'm supposed to walk across or eggshells that I'm not supposed to crack or a, a foot long of hot coals that I have to walk across that are going to continually prove to me how weak and how imperfect my faith is. And on days like those, I need to hear the words of Jesus that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. When Jesus says to Paul that my grace is sufficient for you. So when you don't feel worthy of the crown that God has put on your head. My grace is sufficient for you. So when you lose your temper again and again, Jesus says, my grace is sufficient 
for you. When you continually stumble over and over again into the same patterns of behavior, my grace is sufficient for you. And what Jesus says right after that to Paul is so beautiful considering this psalm. For my power, Jesus says, is made perfect in weakness. So in your weakness, God's power is made perfect. So praise God that there was one human who ruled creation perfectly, who put all things under his feet, under his control, even death itself. And he invites us to experience the beauty and the majesty of that grace in the midst of our weakness. He invites us to experience his perfect power, the power that speaks a word and all of creation comes into existence out of nothing. His power that uses babies and infants, helpless people like you and like me to defeat the enemy. So why does this matter? Because you matter to God, image bearer. God remembers you. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You pray with me. Father in heaven, you have created such beauty and such wonderful things in this world. You've created people that can do marvelous things, but also that continually don't, that continually fail and mess up and are not the good rulers that you have created us to be on earth. But God, you love sinful people. God, you call us back continually to repent, to turn back to you, and you restore us, God. So God, I pray that we would leave here more aware of your majesty, more aware of your beauty, and better able to be reflections of that in the world this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.